0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, listeners and viewers. This is Ron Stefanski, host of Disrupt Ed, where we talk to the passionate, and the purposeful, the determined, and the do-gooders, those people who are helping to shape technology and transformation as we know it, and those who are making a difference out there. All of our guests to date have all expressed the same high level of GSD. Meaning they're not only thought leaders in the world of tech transformation, but they are people who get shit done. Now, I wanna tell you a little bit about this guest. I've been dying to have him on my show. I had him booked. Uh, He and I both got sick and then we decided to reschedule. So I'm so happy to have with me today, Chris Kaufman. Now, let me tell you about Chris. I met him at a networking event in downtown Detroit, 40 under 40, and I watched for two hours as a whole series of those under 40 gathered around him uh, as if he was a messiah of some sort and um, listening to his every word and and with rapt attention, and he delivered. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. He was, one of the reasons why people were so enamored of him is he is just a genuine, down-to-earth, super guy to have a one-on-one conversation with. At the same time, Chris Kaufman started three different successful tech ventures, the most uh, recent of which is StockX. And if you haven't heard of StockX, it's the stock market of things. It's the venture funded by Dan Gilbert, entrepreneur and CEO and founder of Bedrock and Quicken. StockX started as an idea And Chris and his partners, Josh Luber and Greg Schwartz, turned it into a $3.8 billion juggernaut out there. So, Chris, welcome to Disrupted. It is such a treat to have you here today.
1: Thanks, Ron. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for making me sound way cooler than I actually am. I appreciate it.
0: Well, as I was telling telling you before we started the show, I always see this as two kinds of people in the world of tech. They're the tech nerds, and they're the ones that are scrapping to figure out the code and the data to make something happen. And then they're the cool nerds. And those are the ones that sort of uh, they have their hand on the pulse of what the consumer wants. And we're, and not only what the consumer wants, but they're following the puck, as it were. They're watching where consumers are going. That's the kind of person I would describe you as. You, know, you carry yourself with a bit of a swagger, but you're very down to earth. Uh, you're unvarnished. You say what you think and mean what you say. And I think that attracts people to you. But it also obviously was food, you know, was fuel for uh, all of your ventures, your first two ventures and um, and then ultimately landed with StockX. But before we get into StockX, I wanna go back. I think for many of my viewers and listeners, they wanna understand how do you fit into this world of, of transformation? There's disruption going on everywhere. And one of the things we're seeing in our own hometown, Chris Hale's from the greater Detroit area, and I'm from Detroit, and one of the things we're seeing is that Detroit is becoming an entrepreneurial hangout for many, many people, uh, many industries, the food industry, Exploded. Construction exploded. And tech is on its own uh, explosive growth pattern. And Chris is obviously uh, one of those that has uh, inched it and nursed it along and fueled that. So Chris, take us back. When you were first at Eastern Michigan, you're a student, uh, you're studying design. Uh, help us understand how did you plug yourself into the world of tech at the outset and tell us a little bit about those inauspicious beginnings that you claim to have had.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, it, it's always been about problem solving. And, you know, something that that led me to uh, was the, the tech and e-commerce worlds. And, you know, kind of looking at the trajectory of my career uh, and everything I've built, um, it's been way more about the problem than the product. Um, you know, even when we started Stockx, it it wasn't so much about sneakers as it was. Uh, you know, applying a hypothesis to a market and building a platform around that and you know seeing if we could we could disrupt the market and, and solve some problems. But you know, for me, being a creative, being a designer, um, the thing that's always interested me about design has been, uh, really using it as a a problem solving medium and and design designing solutions to uh all kinds of problems whether that is you know, interfaces marketing problems um you know any any type of creative challenge detroit uh, uh, design is a a really great tool uh to be able to apply to to all of those things well, design is also something that's
0: really taking shape in Detroit across a variety of disciplines, and you see that uh, with the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Design, Detroit, um, and these these uh, this confluence of many disciplines uh, coming together and expressing themselves. You have auto design, you have the world of industrial design, then you have the world of tech design. So. Um, Maybe you could share a little bit about your first tech venture because for many of the people who were in that audience at our networking event together, many of them were uh, keenly aware uh, that the world of being an entrepreneur is an up and down. It is not a straight path. And one of the things that you expressed extremely well during that session is the places where things weren't working out and and some of your ventures were not sort of these super – um, you know, successful things going on. Uh, so maybe you can tell us a little bit about that and how how those uh, led you to the place where where you ended up.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of them, which, you know, were really the dots that connected uh, to where I am now and, you know, ultimately StockX as well. And, you know, right out of college, I interned at Quicken Got to know Dan pretty well. Um, I was doing interactive design, there wasn't really anyone else there at that time doing that, and he was super interested in that. So, you know, we had a, a lot of conversations about that. And this was you know pre iPhone, this was a couple of years before the iPhone was even invented, so we weren't doing um yeah, really apps or anything like that. And then, you know, once that came onto the scene, you know, started learning about that and, and moving into that, but um. You know, when I was on the marketing team there, we were working on a uh, financial services tool called Quizzle uh, that was essentially credit report and score, uh, credit monitoring, tools that people could use to to build up their credit and manage their finances. And we ended up spinning that out into its own company. And we did that for a while. Um, It was eventually acquired by Bankrate. I went to the agency world for a little bit, uh, which didn't last long because, you know, you, you've always got the itch to, to build something. Um, and, you know, Greg, one of the, uh, other StockX founders that you mentioned, uh, we started working on this idea for a, a calendar app that we had, which really came from looking at the social space at the time. This was back around 2011. Um, you know, things were very fragmented. Uh everything was past tense or present tense. You were really you were talking about things that you had already done or you were currently doing. There wasn't a good way to really uh, plan future forward looking things with your friends. So our idea was to shake that up and come with that the all time. together, yeah. Yeah, and and really give people a, a way to be more social um, you know, with their with their social, and the idea for that was plugging into people's calendars and you know giving them the ability to share and kind of what we found relatively early was people didn't have very interesting things on their calendars that were worth sharing, um, you know for. A, a one-to-one you know sharing with a spouse or a partner it was beneficial because people could keep track of each other's schedules but as far as being social it wasn't that great because you know nobody wanted to go to your four o'clock finance meeting and that was most of what was on people's calendars so we right. started thinking you know, how do we how do we solve this problem uh which is a, an independent problem to to the problem we were originally trying to solve which was You know, making calendars more social, but you need calendars to be more interesting to make them social. So what we ultimately ended up doing was building a directory of about 35,000 public calendars. And this was everything from uh, church calendars, YMCA class schedules, every MLB, NFL, NHL, NBA game, um, anything and everything—you know, TV shows, movies, you name it—we uh, created a public calendar for it, and people could suddenly drag and drop these events into their calendars, share them with friends, and that's when we really started to see some traction. Um, and then, you know, we created a a web-based calendar for businesses and organizations, just making it dead simple right. for them to, you know, create their own calendars and, you know, that content would flow back into the app. Um, and, you know, we did that for, uh, gosh, four, four and a half years and got a decent amount of traction. But, um, you know, to, to get the kind of density and saturation that you, you really need in the social space, then even like you're probably looking at 10 million active users to, to really get that growth. And, you know, we were really never got above a a couple million, um, which was good, but it, it wasn't good enough. And ultimately we got to a point with that, with that business where, uh, we, you know, we weren't really in a position to raise more capital, uh, at least not on very favorable terms, uh, we weren't seeing the growth we needed, and you know we really started looking at exit opportunities and and shop the business around and found a buyer and you know we were we were ready to sell the company to yahoo and in the eleventh hour, uh, we met with Dan and he ultimately talked us out of it and convinced us to stay in Detroit and and bail on that deal and to start a new company with him and yeah you know, very early on it was this very rough idea to apply stock market mechanics to secondary retail and that was it that was the whole idea. you know we had a pretty good idea that sneakers were a good place to start but you know we didn't know where we were going to grow from there. We looked at watches, handbags, wine, collectible cars, trading cards, coins, stamps, really did did our research on anything and everything that was selling for a premium on the secondary market. And ultimately, we we landed on sneakers because uh, you know, more than 70% of that market was still brand new in the box, which meant we could go after that. We didn't have to worry about selling used goods, condition grading, you know, all the custom nervous headaches that come along with that, because you know, my definition of an eight is probably much different than someone else's definition of an eight. So we just went after new goods and, and continued down that path. But well, let me put a pause on this now in in the stock X story because
0: there's another really fascinating story. And I have to admit to my own bias to our listeners and viewers out there. I am a huge, unapologetic Uber fan of Dan Gilbert. I have lived in this city. I, I was born in the city. Of- Detroit. I came back to the city in 2012. I've watched him single-handedly reshape our city for the good, Um, buying real estate that no one else wanted to touch, Mm -hmm. uh, building out uh, businesses that no one else saw happening. And so he's done so much for our city. And what I want to plug into is also the other side of what Dan does. So Dan has a reputation for going after things before they become big. So it was his idea. He had this idea percolating about this stock X and the sneaker uh, stock market, but but there's something else that he's really good at tapping into, and that's. T- And he saw something in you and Greg and then ultimately in Josh that really sparked something there. And I want you to talk about that because when we were talking earlier, you were sharing with me that once you become part of the gravitational pull of Dan Gilbert world, you're kind of in there uh, and you're kind of in there for the long haul. So as an intern, you started seeing that. But let's talk a little bit about that because I think that's so important for entrepreneurs that are plugging into people that can give them guidance and support, but also people that are just Taking a chance on you when no one else can see what you're trying to do.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's something that Dan does really well. That you know, when you look at any good investor, they're focused on the team and they're focused on the founders. And Dan has always done a great job with that and has, you know, empowered people to do great work. And, you know, in our case, we were really fortunate because we were able to sit with Dan and work closely with him and, um, you know, really have him as an advisor and a mentor throughout the whole process, especially in the beginning, uh, and have him super involved in the business. I mean, we were sitting five feet from him for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, if you had an idea or a question or whatever it was, you need to kind of like knock on the glass and go in and talk to him. Um, but I think, The other part of that, which is equally as important is, as many people know, who've gone through the process of getting a startup off the ground is you need capital. And many entrepreneurs in the beginning spend so much time doing the roadshow and traveling and meeting with VCs and And the pitch decks and all that. And and you spend so much time on that. You're, You're not spending on your business. And you're not thinking about your customers and you're not building your product where in our case, Dan said, hey, you guys understand marketing and product and design and engineering. Figure it out, build something and I will finance it. And you don't have to worry about traveling and doing the roadshow and going out to Sand Hill Road and begging for money. Um And I think that was a massive advantage that that we had building this business because we were able to really step on the gas. I mean, you know, from literally a conversation to this thing being live out in the world, 11 months. um, That's
0: crazy. That is absolutely wild.
1: To us, at the time, it felt like a lot of time. And then, you you know, you, you kind of fast forward to the point where you're Coming up on being a two thousand person company, and you really you look back and realize how short eleven months was to do something like that i I mean you know any engineering task these days takes months to execute, and you know there's just so many more moving pieces than there were back then, but you know even to think like going from an idea to sketching it out uh to designing it to building it to having it live where we are actually accepting credit cards and shipping sneakers um that was pretty crazy and and, you know a lot of 16 to 20 hour days seven days a week um yeah you get there pretty quickly if you're focused right well, you were talking
0: a lot uh, during our networking event about the the toll that it extracts being an entrepreneur and that there are, you know, that your goal is to get from a 16-hour day down to a 12-hour day, seven days a week, and then you're hoping to get Sundays at some point or at least part of a Sunday, you know, and so you put a lot of uh, invested uh, human capital into this enterprise, obviously, and um, what drove you in that process? I mean, what, what, what sparked that among your peers and among those you were building? Building, you know, kind of, kind of walk us through a little bit about um, w- what compelled you to continue doing, you know, the kind of hours and work and grind that that much of this ultimately uh, requires behind the scenes. You know, we have this wow, this crazy great company, but there was a lot of just grinding, grinding hours uh, putting this thing together. Obviously, on the trajectory that you uh, that you followed.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is the opportunity to solve a problem. You know, I think I know for me, I, I know for you know people I've I've worked with on early stage startups and you know other entrepreneurs that I'm close to. That drive is all about solving that problem. Um, you know, for us, it, it it wasn't even so much about the sneakers. It was it could have been any product, but we saw that there were issues with counterfeiting in the industry. You know, we we saw that there were issues with buying and selling. There weren't really any great buyer-seller bid ask platforms at the time. Um, you know, people would go on eBay, and you know, they, maybe they were getting an authentic product, maybe they weren't. Um, you know, right. there really
0: weird. was a wild west in,
1: in terms. It was of- a wild west. Yeah, I mean, there yeah. was still. Like, yeah people buying stuff on craigslist and in facebook groups and through instagram dms and you never really knew what you were getting and you know when we when we really started looking at stock market mechanics and and what they do for the financial markets there were really three key tenets that we were focusing on and you know that was authenticity anonymity and transparency, so if you go on any trading platform and you buy a share of stock, there's never any question that it's real. Mm-hmm. You never wonder who you 're buying it from, right, and you know exactly what the last person who purchased that paid for it, so you can make very intelligent buying and selling decisions and you know our hypothesis was that we could take these same mechanics, apply them to retail. And suddenly you'd have real-time market pricing, anonymous transactions, guaranteed authenticity. And that is exactly what we focused on and you know, led to where we are today.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I also found interesting from our earlier conversation, Station is you had no interest, desire, you were not, uh, unlike Josh, you were someone that wasn't following sneakers at all. You didn't have a collection of sneakers, you didn't have an interest in them necessarily beyond putting them on and wearing them. I mean, how did, you know, uh, it, did you start getting excited as you were working with these guys or is it just more the problem itself on a generic level that that uh, continue to compel your uh, creative?
1: yeah well you know as as somebody who's a career creative and has been you know heavily involved in crafting brands and um you know i really appreciate the the problem of storing storytelling and it's something that is really fascinating to me and what i found is you know even though i wasn't interested in sneakers the way other people were, I really started to love them pretty quickly because there are so many cool stories behind them and their designs. And, you know, there's a lot of intentionality, um, behind that process and, you know, the storytelling that's involved and the design choices that are made that are, are super interesting. And they, you know, some of them tie to, historic events. And, you know, some of them are to specific plays uh, in basketball or players uh, or moments. And there's so much cool history there. And, you know, for me, I was a kid who grew up in Detroit in the eighties and nineties and the cool sneakers were Jordans. And if you were a bad boys fan, like you didn't want anything to do with Michael Jordan or the Bulls. So, yeah, my best sneaker options were probably uh Reebok pumps that, you know, I love to pump up until it cut off my circulation in my feet. You know, outside of that, there there weren't a lot of a lot of cool options for for kids in Detroit who were diehard Pistons fans. So, um, <laughs> you know, that that love for sneakers came a little later. Mhm.
0: Well, let's do this. Let's press a pause. Uh, This is uh, to my viewing and listening audience. This has been Disrupt Ed, and we've had the pleasure of talking with Chris Kaufman, one of the co-founders of StockX. Uh, Join us for episode two, where we pick up the conversation and continue to talk with Chris about the nature of disruption in the world of tech as a tech entrepreneur, as a tech designer, and as someone who has ultimately solved some of the consumer's biggest problems out there. So Stay with us. Come back to us with episode two. And thanks for joining us.